Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. On today's episode, we are going to do two chapters, two chapters of Order of the Phoenix. And that's because we want to have our chapter-by-chapter series wrapped up before our 15th birthday, which is in early August. So it's going to be an action-packed episode. But first, just want to mention a couple of news items. There's been further fallout over J.K. Rowling's tweets a few weeks ago. Authors at J.K. Rowling's literary agency, The Blair Partnership, have quit over the company's refusal to speak out on transgender rights. The four authors are Drew Davies, Fox Fisher, and Al. And then there's one more who wished to remain anonymous. These authors had invited the Blair Partnership to speak out, but they were unable to commit to any action that the authors thought was appropriate and meaningful. So uh, they decided they had to resign, and there was little drama related to this because one of the authors, Fox Fisher, then pointed out that um, the Blair Partnership said that we were making demands. We were not demanding anything. We were just inviting them to open a dialogue. Blair Partnership said, we did not meet their demands to be re-educated to their point of view. And it's like, what? (laughs) Yeah, they just wanted to have a discussion and the Blair Partnership did not seem interested. Yeah. And speaking of Fallout, I also just want to mention there have been reports that a few people at Hatchet, which is the publisher behind the Ichabog, had voiced concerns with working on the new book after J.K. Rowling's tweets. Wow. We also had been speaking about how the chapter readings seem to have been put on hold. And Micah, <laughs> you were upset last week, right? What, what were you saying last week? Well, I just had noted the fact that they had stopped the chapter readings right after this all became public with J.K. Rowling putting out her letter online. And uh, they actually posted something, Wizarding World did, saying that they're taking a break for right now and that (laughs) everybody can enjoy. I think it's the first 12 chapters that have been released. My theory, though, uh, and I did uh, tweet this out, Eric called me troll in the dungeon. That's fine. Uh, I I feel like maybe somebody, somebody, she who must not be named, recorded a chapter and they need to go back and they need to uh, reevaluate. I have a different theory, actually. I think they have other celebrities queued up, and then J.K. Rowling tweets all these things and writes this blog post, and then the agents representing these celebrities got on the phone with Potter No More and said, don't release the video. I don't want my celebrity being associated with the Wizarding Mm. World right now. So I bet a couple of celebrities backed out. Uh, They may have already shot their videos, and then their agents called J.K. Rowling and said, don't release that. Yeah, in both cases, Wizarding World right now is scrambling to find new people who record the chapters. We'll do it. (laughs) It's interesting that you say that, though, because a few people actually had responded to the tweet and said, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. So you have have fans. That's what I said from the beginning when they first started this. They need to involve the fans somehow. It can't just be celebrities who are reading these chapters, mm-hmm. they mean, and I know a lot of these celebrities are fans of the Potter series themselves, but get the actual fans involved. Uh, this is not surprising, though. I'm, I'm not surprised that they're taking a break and just kind of backing off here, whether it's because J.K. Rowling recorded a chapter or, Andrew, I do like your theory a lot. I really do. I, th- I think that's probably more likely that there were people who were in queue and they, they have some reservations about it now. 
Yeah, yeah, given the speed that they were releasing those, and all of a sudden it's we're taking a small pause to let everyone catch up. Right. Is that even halfway <laughs> yeah, through the right. book? How many chapters are in Sorcerer's Stone? Seventeen. It's eleven out of seventeen. All right. Well, before we get to chapter by chapter, let's hear from this week's sponsor. Me Undies is back. They are the preferred choice of house elves and muggles everywhere. Just think, how much more fun would you be having right now if your undies were covered in pandas or sushi rolls, and if they were way more comfortable than the ones you're already wearing? Don't you think you'd feel a little bit more like you? Then you need to check out Me Undies. They offer the most comfortable underwear and loungewear you'll ever experience. Between the comfort and the prints, you're going to understand why we can't stop talking about them. Choose from patterns like whales, peaches, rainbows, pandas, milk and cookies, and so many more options, including limited time partnerships with big fandoms. And best of all, right now, me undies knows there are bigger issues to face than your underwear preferences. This month, through their Me Undies Gives initiative, Me Undies continues to take action to achieve their mission of creating a more thoughtful and accepting world by making $50,000 donations to both the It Gets Better Project and Black Lives Matter. They, like MeUndies, are committed to standing up against hate and intolerance and creating a world where hope outshines fear for all people. With MeUndies Gives, simply by shopping MeUndies, you help them support this cause. Plus, MeUndies has a great offer for our listeners. For any first-time purchasers, you get 15% off and free shipping. This is a no-brainer, especially because they have a 100% satisfaction guarantee. You've got nothing to lose. So to get your 15% off your first order, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to MeUndies.com slash MuggleCast. That's MeUndies.com slash MuggleCast. And thank you for supporting the show by supporting our sponsors. Okay, so like I said, two chapters to go through this Ooh. week. We will be discussing Fight and Flight, and then Chapter 34, The Department of Mysteries. So let's get to it, and we'll start, as always, with our seven-word summary. Centaurs. React. Aggressively. To. Hermione's. Faulty. Arguments. <gasps> Woo! Oh, that was so perfect. I'm going to oh cry. Oh, my God, that was y'all. Really yeah. You are so on point today. <laughs> this, this bodes well. This bodes so well for our double chapter by Ooh. chapter. You know what? It, or it really sets up the Department of Mysteries uh, seven-word summary for failure. One of the two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stay tuned. We're going to find out. Mm-hmm. I think for, for that chapter, it should just be door, 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 door. <laughs> All right, let's talk about this chapter, <laughs> Fight and Flight. And this was a, a pretty short chapter. It may have been the shortest chapter in Order of the Phoenix. And not a whole lot actually happens from a plot standpoint. Umbridge is taking Harry and Hermione into the forest, or I guess actually it's the reverse of that. Hermione is leading the way. And uh, they first come across Hagrid's hut, and Umbridge asks the question, it's hidden in Hagrid's hut, isn't it? <laughs> and Hermione plays off of Umbridge's feelings towards Hagrid, and she says, of course not. Hagrid might have set it off accidentally. And Umbridge refers to him then as a great half-breed oaf. Of course he Oof. would do something like that. And uh, this got me thinking, though, did Umbridge not search Hagrid's hut at all after she got rid of him? If she's so concerned about... Dumbledore and and 
his allies possibly working against him, it seems kind of foolish on her part not to search the hut. It does. Oh, absolutely. I bet yeah. that she did search the hut to an extent, but then maybe when Hermione brought up this weapon, Umbridge thought that maybe there was some secret lair underneath Hagrid's huts. There was a hatch under the dinner table. I don't know. There was an area that she missed. <laughs> maybe. Right. right. And and I think at this point still, the weapon is nebulous enough that maybe it was moved, right? Maybe it is now in Hagrid's hut because it's the last place anyone would look with him having been sacked. That kind of a thing. Or maybe the weapon is a teeny like, tiny pill. It is a dusty ass orb, so it could be a teeny tiny pill at this point. <laughs> but I, I, I like, Eric, the fact here that you're giving Umbridge so much credit for, uh, you know, thinking through rationally in this in this way but uh, well no she that's the last thing she's doing i'll be clear like i i think that she definitely would have searched hagrid's hut and the fact that she isn't thinking clearly enough to be like well no it's of course it's not in there um shows that she is really in pounce mode she is so high strung right now and just not focusing that she's able to be manipulated by this in this way by hermione and Eric, you, you actually think, though, that Hermione is counting on a bit of, of chaos theory here, right? Yeah, she doesn't really seem to have a plan. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but Hermione's plan is to get them into the forest where any amount of unpredictability overtakes, like anything could happen. And I think she, to to her credit, she is specifically not going to where Grop is, uh, but she also doesn't know where that is that she is going because Harry says that the path that they're taking is actually the one that leads directly to Aragog. Uh, and Hermione was not along with them when they went to Aragog. So Hermione is clearly mm -hmm. um, going into the forest blindly, really relying on chaos theory and the unpredictability of it all. Yeah. And she's actively trying to make as much noise as possible oh, to attract attention. Yeah. <laughs> loudly stomping on branches she has a bit of an idea of what she's getting herself into though it seems like she it, it, deep down she wants to draw the attention of the centaurs mm -hmm. that seems mm -hmm. to be clear but i think there is no true way to know what is going to happen in this moment because there are so many creatures that are in the forest but before we get to that we did ask a question on social media about whether or not this whole plan that Hermione comes up with, taking Umbridge into the forest, is this her most Gryffindor moment of the entire Potter series? <laughs> and we heard from a number of our listeners. Yeah, Mandy said, I would say her most Gryffindor moment is skipping out on her original seventh year to help Harry find Horcruxes. You know how much education means to her, so not only was it a big deal for her to miss out on school, but on top of that, it was a dangerous mission. Talk about bravery. That's good. Here's an interesting take from Alicia. People think her taking multiple classes in book three proves her Ravenclaw-ness, but I think she was being really brave, using new, to her, unpredictable magic and constantly popping around at the risk of getting found out. Also, she punches Malfoy in that book, so there's that. <laughs> Fair point. Emma says, second year when she found out about the basilisk and immediately made sure she and another student were covered safety-wise, she did not go immediately to a teacher. Danielle said, and I like this one, deliberately setting the scariest teacher in school's robes on fire <laughs> at the tender age of 11 might be peak Gryffindor. Retweet. <laughs> 
Another Laura said wiping her parents' memories to keep them safe without knowing for sure she would be able slash around to change it back. Yeah, that's 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 tough. I wouldn't be able mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah, that one's rough. Deep cut. Eileen says being able to lie to Bellatrix while being tortured. Yep. Yeah. Very Gryffindor. And uh, lastly, we got a what I assume is a joke answer um, and not a misandrist reply from Michelle. She says, when Hermione let Ron drive her and the kids to King's Cross 19 years later. Yeah, her, we've seen Ron drive. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. Hermione's most <laughs> Gryffindor moment. But I think that it was excellent that we asked this question because um, I like seeing these moments where Hermione really is balls to the wall, um, letting her lion shine uh, out. And and there's really no other way that I can see you can characterize her complete sort of recklessness that gets them in there. Because we find out very, very shortly that Hermione's plan is deeply flawed, or at least her her execution. It's not well thought out. And this whole thinking before you act, or, or sorry, this whole acting before you think thing is a very Gryffindor trait historically. Yeah. This was a fun trip down memory lane. Yeah. I think there's a lot of great moments here, for sure. And uh, one uh, moment that could be classified as a brave moment by Harry or just completely ridiculous, depending on how you look at it, is he asks Umbridge for her wand since <laughs> they're leading the way into the forest and they want to be able to protect themselves. Who knows what is going to uh, pop up? As they make their way through the Forbidden Forest, and Umbridge responds by saying, the Ministry places a rather higher value on my life than yours, I'm afraid. To which I respond, (laughs) really? You think that your life is more valuable than Harry Potter's? Well, at the moment, right? Yeah. They're trying to, like, if Harry were to up and die tomorrow, oops, like, it's not on the Ministry's watch, so who at the Ministry is really advocating for Harry's life? Yeah, right now. I actually believe Umbridge when she says that. I think she's a legend in her own mind. (laughs) I really, you know, like when we when we did our debate last week, um, obviously the argument about who's more evil is far more nuanced than what we talked about. But Umbridge is super replaceable in the machine that is the ministry. If something happened to her, they could find somebody who is very much like-minded to step into that role and, you know, they probably wouldn't miss a beat. So I think that she's uh, definitely elevating herself a bit. And even though the ministry is not on Team Harry right now, I think that Harry does hold some amount of value to them just because he's they regard him sort of like a ticking time bomb. They're scared of him. I think Harry is only of use to the ministry in to the extent in which he's under their control. And because he's not under their control, as Rufus Scrimger finds out eventually, um, he's not of use. And uh, it, I don't know. The fact that Umbridge is still employed in two years time tells me that the ministry values her in weird, sick ways. Bingo. Um, I'm on Team Eric. Well, is <laughs> she still funny. employed by the ministry when Scrimgey Hour is in power, or does she come along once Pious Thickness takes over? I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it's the latter. Oh. Mm. Mm. So let's talk about Hermione's plan that, at least in her mind, she's she's thinking centaurs. She wants the centaurs to show up. That is why they're making as much noise as they possibly can. 
And I'm just wondering how much she actually thinks through what is about to happen because we know Umbridge, Centaurs, they're not going to get along very well just given mm-hmm. Umbridge's bias and and clear racist tendencies towards those that are not like her. Yeah. If she has a problem with Hagrid, just wait till she gets <laughs> in the middle of the forest. It, it must have crossed Hermione's mind that Umbridge could die tonight, right? Is that what you're saying, Micah? Because it seems extremely I think it's risky. It's a possibility that yeah. is at the back of her mind. Maybe it's not a, at the forefront in, in, in her plan here, but I don't know ultimately what she's hoping for. It seems like at the very least she's hoping for a confrontation, but who knows where it goes? We see how the centaurs just a couple chapters ago were willing to go toe-to-toe with Hagrid, and Hagrid's are friendly. The goal here was to get Umbridge off their back. And what was the alternative to get Umbridge off their back? They could have created some like smoke and mirrors distraction within the within her office, but that would have only been temporary. Like this was a good way to get rid of Umbridge for the night. Yeah, the- yeah, I think Hermione's biggest mistake here is that she views this argument as a binary where she's like, you're either team Umbridge or you're team us. And the centaurs are clearly going to be team me and Harry. Yeah. And, you know, they pretty quickly correct her and they're like, hey, we don't <laughs> care about your laws or your society or your ministry or whatever fights you have with your ministry. That is not our problem. Why are you treating us like servants to help you dispose of your issues? Yeah, it's really great points that are made by the centaurs. And of course, Umbridge gets into it with them. She refers to them as half-breeds who have near human intelligence, a really great moment by Imelda Staunton in the films, and tells them that they're only here because the ministry permits them in certain areas (laughs) or permits them to have certain areas of land. And we know what happens after this. Arrows, ropes, utter chaos ensues, and Umbridge is carried away. And uh, this has always been... uh, a topic of discussion as to what happens to Umbridge as she's being taken away after she's been captured by the centaurs. And I know that listeners in this moment can do their own research on centaurs. We're not going to dive into it in, in detail, but there's a lot about centaurs and their behavior that is gone into great detail in Greek mythology and make of it what you will. Not sure if anybody wants to add anything else there. It's uh, yeah. pretty – the ramifications are, or the potential for what actually occurred to Umbridge, and we do see her once more in the hospital wing with probably one of the worst expressions on her face. Something bad happens to Umbridge, and so Hermione's plan is not without its consequences. Um, it does save the day for our heroes in the moment, um, but I think it's a – sort of a sad part of of kind of how things come to light. I also think that um what what makes this good writing is that it is very much open for interpretation. Um and it can be open to interpretation on a number of levels, on a number of age appropriate levels. Um so just bear that in mind when you're doing your research. Mm. One other thing that happens after Umbridge is carried away, though, Harry tries to reach out for her wand, and it actually ends up getting snapped in two. And I was wondering if this was a bit of symbolism for what is about maybe to happen to Umbridge, and or just 
the nature of this situation that she has now been taken care of. Do you think that the centaur snapping the wand, uh, you know, a hoof comes down and breaks it in two, even though there's utter chaos happening, do you think that was intentional on the part of, I, I go back and forth on this, whether or not a centaur was willingly like, no, I'm going to disarm this wizard by snapping this wand. I think it could have been on purpose and it could have been symbolism. It represents her being completely defeated. A wizard needs their wand. Yeah, it does carry a lot of um, representation of the way centaurs view wizard magic. I think that, Mm -hmm. you know, we kind of saw from Ferenz when he was leading the divination class that he thinks that a lot of the way that humans practice magic is very surface level. And I think that that you know, it kind of goes along with the idea that wizards need a wand, at least, you know, wizards in the UK, we understand that there are um, wizards who can practice wandless magic in other parts of the world. And it it could suggest that centaurs think like, oh, you need this apparatus in order to practice magic. How quaint, you know, without it, you are nothing. Mm -hmm. But it's Harry and Hermione is only tied to magic in this moment, because they had their wands taken away prior to going into the forest. So Harry is probably seeing it at least as having some safety net available to him despite everything that's happened. I'm not sure he really wants to use Umbridge's wand, but it's there, it's available, and they need to get out of here as quickly as possible. And we talked a little bit about Hermione not really thinking through things, and she starts to get into a conversation with the centaurs, and I'm wondering if maybe she should have let Harry do the talking because she just keeps digging herself deeper <laughs> mm-hmm. and deeper in. <laughs> uh, it's, well, yeah. Harry certainly has way more experience talking to them than she does. Right. Mm-hmm. There's that. For sure. Hermione is just being the perfect example here of somebody who has good intentions, but does not realize their own internalized bias in that she thinks that the centaurs are clearly going to be team young foals when really the centaurs don't feel any great stakes in whether in what happens to Harry and Hermione. They're like, yeah, you're not part of our our crew. Um, you know, our domain is here. We don't really care about what you do out there. How dare you come in here and treat us like a tool? Yeah. Yeah. And it's 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 a bit like with Umbridge's wand. It's a bit like walking into a foreign country, crossing a border with a gun. You know, like mm-hmm. that's never going to show up well at the border patrol. Um, it's it's a hostile action, and everything about what they did really reeks of hostility, um, whether they want it to or not. And Umbridge's words could have doomed them all. I do question whether or not they would kill Harry. Um, they clearly will know who he is, but even though they don't often involve themselves in current day events, they know who Harry is. They've always known who Harry is. It's written in the stars that he has some sort of destiny that clearly does not end today. So if it had ever gotten really close to Harry being injured, do you think that he still would have been able to walk out? I don't know, because there's that one point where I forget one of the centaurs says, no, we don't hurt foals. And the other one is like holding Harry and he's like, this one's not so young. He's almost reaching manhood. Oh, yeah. Like there's at least some contingency within the centaurs that doesn't really seem to give a a damn um, <laughs> about hurting them. Because, again, they very much do not at this point see their own destiny 
tied in with the destiny of wizards. I think that changes later, but I think as of right now, they're like, nope, we don't care about what happens outside the forest. Get out. And they also know that Harry's been in there before. He should have already learned his lesson. Mm, And yet here he is again. Strike two, Mr. Potter. Yeah. I think to the point of the foals that Laura brought up, Hermione is banking on the fact that they were in a very similar situation just a couple of days or weeks ago and that they're going to receive the same treatment that they did and and they should learn from past situations and and not even be here to begin with. But the fact that Hermione is banking so much on the centaurs treating them the same way they had been treated when Hagrid was there, that's a calculated risk that she's taking and it's not paying off at all. The centaurs respond by saying, we're an ancient people who will not stand wizard invasions and insults. We do not recognize your laws. We do not acknowledge your superiority. And I wondered why do the centaurs get to quote unquote claim the forbidden forest? Who Who's showing this level of superiority to them? Is it just the ministry? Because it seems like Dumbledore has treated them extremely well. Hagrid treats them extremely well. Ha- Harry has no ill intent here what's their deal it kind of seems to me like they're there and the ministry is sort of like oh yes we've bequeathed this land to you because the (laughs) ministry doesn't really know how to control them so they're trying to flip the narrative Mm -hmm. a bit and say like hey we gave this to you and the centaurs are like "Mm, we were already here yeah thanks for playing (laughs) we didn't need your permission i was wondering what do you guys think hermione should have said to the centaurs how got, could she have persuaded them we got a message about that from chelsea thompson actually which i will read and this is not very flattering of hermione uh toward hermione hermione goes into the forest to use the centaurs to her advantage like they are just some animal in her service after all her house elf rights she didn't give a damn if centaurs got hurt to save her own skin also 100 percent, if harry or ron had done what she uh just did she would have told them off for being ignorant to centaur's rights. Mm. Also, if that was her plan, don't be dopey enough to say to centaurs, oh, you just take care of her for us. At least tell them that you were brought in against your will. I mean, she and Harry were unarmed. It would have been believable. But overall, I think it shows her ignorance of magical creatures. Not one of her better moments in my opinion. Yeah, the the whole we didn't want to be in here should have been the way it seems almost like the natural way like hey listen we wouldn't be in because they're talking about territory here yeah Umbridge is stupid enough to actually debate territory she's mm-hmm. the one who says this is our land da, 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 da. the ministry lets you but hermione and harry could just be like we are so sorry she had the wand we didn't we don't want to be here please you know bowing or doing whatever they need please let us be on your, our way yeah that's exactly what I was thinking when I was reading this. I was like, oh, like you could, there's so many ways you could play this. You could start crying and being like, she's taken us prisoner and she's bringing us into the forest because she thinks that the students are creating some kind of weapon against her and we're not and we don't know why we're here. And they yeah. would totally be like, mm, all right, let the foals go. Yeah. <laughs> and it's this all true. their problem. All yeah. of that would have been true. A hundred percent. Come on, Hermione, use those acting skills again. You just did. Maybe she was all acted out. She couldn't I think, put on I think another show. It. Yeah, that, that energy. Absolutely. Yeah, Takes I think a lot, she's man. just drained. <laughs> a lot of emotional energy. She's also 
she's also making really big assumptions about who her allies are. Yeah. yeah. She thought the centaurs would back her up. And if I was Harry, I would have shown my scar. Not the one on my head, the one on my hand. Oh, and yeah. That would have probably gone a long way. what she did to way. me. Yeah. And I'm surprised also last week that didn't come up in the argument. Voldemort's scar was unintentional. Umbridge's was not. That would have been a really yeah. good one for you guys to use. Good point. All right. It is time for Grop to save the day. And he comes in out of nowhere and he remembers Hermione. And I just thought, what attention to detail this half giant must have or, or giant. I don't know. Like, I, I, is he a half giant? Is he a giant? I, I, I He's he's a full giant, but he's small for his size. Okay. Like he's, yeah. <laughs> got it. All right. Well, he's definitely a giant compared to Hagrid. Right. He's got amazing attention to detail because he remembers Hermione's name con- considering they only met one time and he acted like he could give a shit. So <laughs> I just think that this is a little bit of a stretch. But anyway, he says I don't the day. think so. I'll tell you, you why. Because do- Hagrid introduced Hermione and Harry to Grop. And Grop isn't meeting a lot of new people out in the forest. So it's probably pretty easy to remember <laughs> the people that you're introduced to in defense for, of Grop. For me, for me, I think it's because Grop is so consumed with uh, finding Hagger, finding Hagrid, that he mm. is looking for, like, where do you go if you can't find somebody? Well, they're their closest ally or their friends or their neighbor's house, right? So when he sees, uh, particularly Hermione, but also Harry, he remembers her name because that like she was his last known like contact or 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 next of kin or whatever uh to to really get where hagger is so i think that helps him remember it's certainly possible but i'm also a little bit curious as to how he finally broke free and i was Willing to subscribe to the theory that we got last week that Dumbledore's in the forest somewhere and he just sets Grop free when this whole situation plays itself out. But I'll go with your theory. I, I like the idea. Maybe he's just so distraught that he hasn't seen Hagrid in weeks at this point. Who knows? Or days. I, I don't really know the timeline. Yeah, the kids were supposed to visit. They were. Yeah, but they didn't. Well, mm-hmm. this was their attempt to visit. But this is yet another person, though, that Hermione puts in danger's way. We we talked about Umbridge. We talked about Harry and Hermione themselves. Now Grop is in danger. The centaurs are in da- were in danger earlier from Umbridge and her magic. Now they're in danger again from Grop because Grop could easily kill these centaurs, probably with a swing of his hand, or you know have a light snack in the afternoon. You know, bite their heads off. <laughs> Harry, who knows? Harry considers that. He says that. Maybe Grop could do some real damage to the centaurs, but the wording in the book is something like words to the effect of Harry found that he did not at all care <laughs> in this particular moment yep. about how the centaurs fail. So it's like, if Harry doesn't care, should the readers care? But reading the hundreds of arrows that are piercing Grop's face, like, is horrible. <laughs> and the warm blood that becomes a plot point in between these chapters, um, you know, splashing on the ground. It's very, I feel for Grop. And the fact that he remembered Hermione's name also shows that to some extent Hagrid was right, that there is some sort of care or sentience somewhere deep down in there beyond all of Grop's outward 
you know, practices, there is still somebody that has intelligence that could potentially one day, if treated 100% properly with no mistakes, be domesticated or be made to fit in somewhere in the forest. It just makes me feel sad for him. How long has he been tied up with no interaction, no stimulation, thinking like, oh, Hagrid told me that you know, Hermie was going to come visit me. <laughs> yeah, I think Hagrid also would probably be a bit disappointed with how the situation plays itself out because of just how many people are, are being put at risk in this moment, yeah. including Grop. So that's, that's a bit disappointing. Andrew, I know you actually uh, think that uh, this wasn't a bad plan on Hermione's part. No, well, I mean, Harry snaps at Hermione. It's his smart plan, Hermione. That went great. But it wasn't <laughs> the worst. I mean, they did get rid of Umbridge. So now they can go and see what's going on with Sirius. Yeah, and it is worth bringing up. This is a great example of how people do not operate at peak efficiency when they're under great levels of stress. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but I thought this was also a really interesting connecting the threads moment between Order of the Phoenix and Prisoner of Azkaban. Um you know, in sort of like the climaxes of both of these books, Harry and Hermione use the Forbidden Forest to their advantage. In Prisoner of Azkaban, it's to rescue Buckbeak. They hide in it for a while. Um, And then, of course, in Order of the Phoenix, it's to get rid of Umbridge. But on both occasions, time is really an essential element related to rescuing Sirius. Um, So we see this point in Prisoner of Azkaban where after they've witnessed Lupin's werewolf transformation on the edge of the forest, Hermione says, we've got about 45 minutes until Dumbledore locks the door to the hospital wing. We've got to rescue Sirius and get back into the ward before anybody realizes we're missing. And here at this point, Hermione's saying, hey, we have to get back up to the castle to get our wands. And Harry's like, well, by the time we've done that, Sirius will probably be dead. Mm -hmm. He's right but not in the way that he thinks, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately. Do you guys think the Forbidden Forest has another name besides the Forbidden Forest? Because <laughs> it's funny talking about what's happened in the Forbidden Forest when they're not supposed to be going in there. Well, like, think, Is that uh, just the name at Hogwarts to scare the kids off? I think so. Yeah, you got to <laughs> name it something that's very clear that it's off bounds. I think in one of the movies, Richard Harris says the Dark Forest. Yeah. I was going to bring that up. Oh. He does. Well, that's another way they can scare off the kids, calling it dark. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever they're in there, though, you do see like there's always an attention paid to how dense the trees are. So like there's light, there's dark, there's uh, clearings. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if Dark Forest oddly were like the name that people inside it call it. It's just funny how like they can't quit the Forbidden Forest. They keep using it, <laughs> even though it's <laughs> yeah. the Forbidden forest (laughs) yeah now it's time to head off to the ministry despite how crazy hermione's plan was it worked and now they meet up with Ginny, neville luna and ron conveniently they have their wands so now they just need a way to get to the ministry there's a lot of fighting going on about harry just wanting to go by himself or the trio going by themselves And it made me think a little bit about why Harry in that moment looks down upon Neville, Ginny, Luna as potential allies, just given everything that they've been through this year with Dumbledore's army and and how he's taught them defense against the dark arts. I know he doesn't want to put them in harm's way, but 
they seem like they really want to fight here and, and they want to help yeah. him. And I, I just think about Ron and, and I know we don't have to hate on Ron, but Ron's <laughs> ability is probably not up to the level of Ginny's. And I'm not sure about Neville and Luna, but I, I would say Ginny is, is much more powerful and able in, in moments of need than somebody like Ron is. Yeah. Agreed. I think Harry also just doesn't see them because he's like, if he were to pick any three members of the DA, it would not be those three. And I think yeah. he just doesn't see them as particularly skilled. But what the heck is that crap? Because who are the members of the Dumbledore's army that he would have picked? Like That's what I was wondering. Go- going through the class, because he's always talking about how, how everybody is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Like he's, he talks about how everyone is making progress. Like, man, even Neville totally kicked the butt of that one jinx. And it's like, well, dude, you like everybody's at the same level that was in that class. I don't understand what this comment comes in about I, the last three people he would pick. Like, come on. Yeah. Well, the last three people aside, I think Harry just isn't used to having a squad bigger than him, Ron, and Hermione. Like, they're the three musketeers. They go and take care of things. If you bring more people, that's more weight, so to speak. That's that's more people you're putting in danger. So I kind of understand where he's coming from. Yeah, that's that's, uh, that's 100% it. I mean, Ron and Hermione are in here by default and by the fact that they, through circumstances of um, just how the books have developed, how the plot has happened, that they've been there with Harry before. So they get a pass. Like, I think he would still prefer to be alone, but if he has to be with people, okay, Ron and Hermione. But now that these three other people, and, and really the only reason he even consents to them coming is because circumstances happen in a certain way that there's enough thestrals for everybody. Yeah, well, but also because yeah. Luna is is the one who gives them the information <laughs> about how they're going to get there. And if not for the fact that Grop showed up and dripped blood all over them, these thestrals probably wouldn't even be in the area. Right? Yeah. Pretty convenient. True. And also Highly remember, convenient. wasn't it just a few chapters ago, Harry was resisting the help of Ron or Hermione or both? He can be resistant to even having Ron and Hermione on board and then to double the size of this group sounds risky and and sounds like it's it's like going out with a bunch of people for the day it's a pain in the butt to have six people versus three yeah or or three versus two that's what do you want to do well what do you want to do what direction do you want to take in the ministry i don't know what direction do you want to take in the ministry? for some reason i got the inkling that you're talking about going with a large group to disneyland yes exactly what ride do you want to go on (laughs) what prophecy do you want to grab what veil do you want to walk through it's just all these extra questions yeah. yeah. Churros. But... Well, I have to go to the bathroom. Oh, damn it. Why didn't you go before we left? <laughs> yeah, what what happens in that moment? I mean, they talked about being really cold on top of the Thestrals. I wonder if they, that's a good way to just warm yourself up, right? <laughs> no? Yeah, ch- a warm churro. Riding the yeah. Thestrals together? No, 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 no. Never mind. You said go in okay. the bathroom. No. Oh. L- Laura yeah, got oh, what I was talking about. I, I understood. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, they, there they... should be some kind of spell to, like, a hot air spell or something. Then they don't even have to do Evanesco. So anyway, <laughs> I just, I actually thought of one more connecting the threads here as we, as we wrap up this chapter. And that is, you know, care of magical creatures plays an integral role in, in both of these books. And we have Buckbeak, the Hippogriff, we have the Thestrals. They're introduced in both of these classes in respective books. And these are the vehicles by which, they get to where they need to be in 
both of these books. I'm probably not doing as good a job as Laura would do, but you understand what I'm saying? Like, no, yeah, totally. I mean, you're you're completely right that these are the the winged creatures that are used to, you know, run off to Sirius's aid. Yeah, right. Exactly. I'm gonna I'm gonna come out and say it. So, like, maybe care of magical creatures isn't the most useless class there is. That still remains history of magic. But creatures, <laughs> like magical creatures who can't fly, are totally lame in comparison. Mm. Just gonna go say that. Like Harry sees a bow truckle in this chapter. Yeah, it just kind of like whines at him. Like, what's the point? The bow truckle's not helping in the fight. Go, go <laughs> away, go away. But like thestrals are cool. Uh, hippogriffs are cool. Still not sure what um, blast ended scrutes and fireworms and all those others creatures well, are doing. They needed to introduce the the blast ended scroot for Hagrid's magical creatures motorbike adventure. Right. Now, it was a whole Universal Orlando. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So I think that wraps up chapter 33, unless anybody has anything else. No, I mean, no, the only other thing I would mention is that flying on an invisible object sounds absolutely terrifying. Just imagine being <laughs> on a plane and not being able to see the plane. So you just look below your feet and you just see the ground 30,000 feet below you. No, thank right. you. No. <laughs> That'd be a fun ride. No. Harry says, Harry says... <laughs> Harry says when he's on the Thestral that it's the fastest thing he's ever been on. In other words, faster than his Firebolt, which is the the broom of the Quidditch World Cup. Mm. Um, Time to Thestrals use Thestrals go, as brooms. Thestrals <laughs> even go faster, though. That's what I'm saying. So, like, even Harry, who's used to flying, is a little unsettled by how fast they go. I feel very bad for the people who can't even see what they're writing. All right. So let's rename the chapter and then we're going to save Umbridge Suck Count and MVP of the week till after chapter 34. Order of the Phoenix, chapter 33. Because like of the fast drills. I got you. Yeah, we get it. Nobody laughed though. So I guess it sucks. I thought you were going to sing. <laughs> No. She she even said, I don't know where my soul is. Yeah, I thought it was appropriate. <laughs> uh, I named it Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 33, Proud Creatures. I went with Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 33, Granger Danger. <laughs> Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 33, Into the Woods. Into the woods, it's time to play. Into the woods. Into the woods, it's time to kill Umbridge. <laughs> okay, it's time for chapter 34, the Department of Mysteries. And we'll start with our seven word summary again. Oh, well, we pull off another good one. It's a lot of pressure. See what happens. Prophecies are Ooh. exposed. When doors are opened. Hey, <laughs> well done, y'all. I mean, it took you a really long time to say when, but well, other than I was, that, it was good. I was trying to think of the direction I wanted to take the sentence, right? Yeah, like I that see. was going to be the connector that decided where the end was going to go. Exactly. Okay. Ooh. Exactly. I well think done. we should have done door, 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 door. Yeah. door but oh, yeah. I forgot about funny. that. Darn. This is real good. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> So I just want to mention that the reason we're squeezing this chapter in with the other chapter is because we're not going to analyze the various Department of Mysteries 
within this chapter. We go through a couple of them in this chapter. We've actually already done a deep dive on the different departments. And because we have not learned any new info since our deep dive in episode 374, which was actually two years ago this month, we're not going to take a deep dive again this week. So if you want to listen to our thoughts on the specific department of mysteries, listen to episode 374. We will put a link to that in the show notes. Cool. Yeah, so that's it. That's chapter 34. Thanks, All everybody. Right. Time for <laughs> the Umbridge suck count. <laughs> All right. So uh, this chapter opens up aboard uh, Thestral Flight 777 to the Ministry of Magic. And uh, it, it's actually like a really cool scene. It, it reminds me of you know the Seven Potters a little bit in Deathly Hallows, even going back uh, to actually, isn't it at the beginning of this book? when they're heading to Grimold Place. Yeah. And they're all on their different means of transportation. Or am I making that up? No, I can't even no, you're definitely back. right. The the imagery of all of the twinkling lights and the rolling landscape um being the only thing that tells them how high up off the ground they are, it's really reminiscent to that scene at the beginning of the book. Hmm. And they safely arrive in London and all six of them decide that they're going to cram into this telephone booth at the same time. I don't know why they couldn't have taken turns, but <laughs> they all go together. And this is really weird to me. And I know measures were put in place in advance, but there is literally no security at the Ministry of Magic upon arrival, right? Harry gets his name. It pops out of the little slot. It's Harry Potter. You would think with all the craze that Fudge Fudge should have a device on him that goes off if anything Harry Potter related happens at the ministry. And yeah. yet there's nothing. An entire government building completely empty. <laughs> like, this is this is really, really weird. And it should have set off red flags, I think, for for the this group upon yeah. arrival. Especially because they are greeted with a message that says you will be subject subjected to a search, and that search never comes. Where yeah. is everybody? True. This is all really unsettling in terms of the setup, and I was thinking about this when I was reading the chapter the other day, and I was like, either the ministry is just completely ineffective and has no security after hours, which does not seem plausible, or we are to believe that the ministry is so infiltrated by Death Eaters and Death Eater sympathizers at this point that they're able to orchestrate this complete lack of security, complete lack of any kind of alarm system. I mean, we see later in the chapter, Lucius Malfoy was hanging out in the Hall of Prophecies. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what's so disconcerting here is that they're able to basically hoodwink an entire government to disappear for i get it, it's late at night probably at this point but it's not that late mm -hmm. it's not like it's two o'clock in the morning yeah yeah it, it's probably maybe what nine o'clock let's just say and nobody is there even eric's not there to you know check your wand when you, when you come in <laughs> i'm from one eric to another i can only speculate that the reason that he's not at his post is maybe lucius malfoy with all his riches and golds devised an off-site pizza party for everyone, for ministry workers to, as a sign of appreciation for government work. And that's where everyone is. Because I, I, as from one Eric to another, the only thing that could pull me from my post late at night is pizza. 
So right. I think that I think that Lucius Malfoy was able to create like a ruse and everybody's at a pizza party somewhere and that's where everyone is. If anyone wants to break into Eric's house, just lure him out with a pizza <laughs> party somewhere. <laughs> hey, last week I got the Last of Us 2 game. The only thing I went out for was a Little Caesars pizza down the road. <laughs> and then I kept Caesars. the entire little weekend. Caesars. The, the entire weekend. So I'm telling you, this is gonna this works. Wow. Okay. Noted. You know, I would love to see if you know when we get a harry potter tv show i'm saying when because i believe we are going to get it Mm. um i would love to see a sequence um obviously something that's not in the book but a sequence of all of the pieces falling into place as all of the death eater sympathizers at the ministry like pay people off to get out of the building yeah or like create these distractions or like send fake messages to people from their families being like, oh, there's an emergency at home. You have to come home. I think this would make a really cool pacing scene that would also kind of set the stage and make this make a little more sense from a visual standpoint. Totally. It just, I was going to say for our next Quizich Live, we're going to ask the question, how did Voldemort get into the Ministry of Magic and the answer is just pizza, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a uh, there's an ongoing joke or, or running gag or question that is asked on Alohomora podcast uh, often, which is, "Is it alive?" And I want to talk about this cool female voice. Is it alive? Um, you know, she's able to when you when you when you talk to her on the phone or when the voice is asking for people's names, it's able to translate people's names to to badges. And she translates that we're here to save somebody. She calls it a rescue mission. Is this a real person somebody somewhere or is it automated? Because if it isn't automated, wouldn't this human person, uh, well, presuming human, uh, inner like alarm anybody or tell anybody that yeah. Harry Potter just arrived? It sounds automated to me, but that is a good question. Stephanie, who's listening live, says, in reference to where Eric, the security guard, is, I mean, he is British. Maybe he was getting a cup of tea. Oh, sorry. That's much more Anglo. Yeah, that's, I'm sorry. That's much more Anglo-Saxon. That's what it is. It's it's tea time. That's why nobody is. It's a tea party. Yeah, it's time at night. Pizza flavored. We're going to get so many emails. (laughs) Now, not only is the, the atrium of the ministry completely empty the elevators are completely empty and probably the most important place within the ministry itself the department of mysteries there's nobody there there is no security six teenagers can just roll up no unspeakables working at this hour i i would say andrew i i know you saved this for hogwarts but in this moment the ministry it's a security nightmare. Starting to sound like a security nightmare. Security <laughs> nightmare. Yeah, it absolutely is. And the sound effect was running through my head when I listened to this chapter, when I read this chapter. Yeah. Is it easier for them to get in now than it is for them to break in to Hermione's office and curse child too? Because after 19 years, you would think something would improve, but yeah. it really, 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 really doesn't. Well, and you guys mentioned earlier, okay, it's late, so maybe security's not there, but there should be 24-7 security at the Ministry of Magic. Yeah. That'd be like Congress not having security guards late at night. No, of course there's security. Well, and through Umbridge, we know that the Ministry has access to these uh, security trolls, 
these giant if if one of them is guarding Harry's firebolt, then they can easily put one in like the atrium after hours just like as some obstacle. But is it I mean, yeah, clearly like Laura mentioned the the a good scene for a Harry Potter TV show. Clearly Lucius and the rest of the Death Eaters did something to reduce the security so that Harry could get into the Hall of Prophecies. Right. There's definitely foul play going on. Mm-hmm. And we just need to be mindful of that when complaining about the lack of I know, ministry security. <laughs> it's, you know, when you're older, you think about these things. We may have yeah, even thought about this when we were younger, when we were having these conversations just about how lax the security is. And the fact that there's yeah. there's nobody there. It's not just there's so no security. There's nobody. Yeah. So who's on the other end of the phone? Is it a woman? Is it a person? Or is it She probably not? works from home. Yeah. <laughs> she telecommutes. <laughs> that's a I zoom know, connection I, I got a crazy idea about um you know maybe it's neither a person nor an automation it could be saved intelligence like this idea of like after somebody is no longer alive you just port their intelligence into something else into some kind of receptacle so that mm. it can go on beyond the body and that got me thinking about the brains I was going like to say, Laura, this sounds like such an absurd theory if this same chapter weren't the chapter where we learn that the ministry has brains and yes, tanks. exactly. What are they doing? That would have been funny I... if when they approached the tank, if they started hearing the recording from earlier in the chapter. <laughs> I think the brain room is the study just why humans are so darn stupid sometimes. I'm trying to figure <laughs> out. What triggers all that oh. stupidity? So you think they're human brains? They're not even wizard or witch brains. Well, they could be. It could be a mix of both. Be Maybe they're, they're studying the difference between muggle brains and wizard brains. So if, if the if the room really existed in real life, that room would be packed right now with people studying why people still aren't wearing masks. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so we enter the Department of Mysteries really through this rotating room, right? It's the room that's on the cover of the US edition of Order of the Phoenix. And it's definitely been built to confuse those who don't have familiarity with it. So I'm assuming unspeakables know how to navigate their way through the Department of Mysteries. I'm curious how many times it may have taken somebody like Lucius Malfoy to work his way through and not get tripped up. We know that members of the Order of the Phoenix clearly know how to navigate their way through because of Arthur guarding the prophecy earlier on mm -hmm. in the year. But this seems like a really good tactic to have in place to protect what is inside the department itself. I mean, is this a place of business or is this a, a circus like attraction? Like what, what's going on here with the, the rotating room? You close the door, it spins out of control and resets. Come on. They're like in a fun house right now. From a security standpoint, though, it does make sense. I would think some people do understand how it works, though. Like, there's probably a way to know exactly which door leads where. Some hidden clues or something. Or like is... at 7.15 p.m. Eastern, the door opens to, uh, you know, the brain room. At 7.20, the door opens to the love room. Man, that's a good point. For me, it's really speaks volumes about Harry's dependency on his dream. He is now yeah. all in on the dream, not just because he saw Sirius being tortured and now his scar hurts, but because he, like at this point, there's no question that anything he ever saw in his dream would not be true. And everyone else is there along for the ride, 
really relying on just a room that has shimmering lights. Like Harry says, I'll know it when I see it. Um, but there's no question at this point anymore whether or not everything that Harry saw isn't 100% factually true. And eventually they do get led to the Room of Prophecy. So I guess that's not really a downside. And I'm just thinking about what Ginny, Neville, and Luna are thinking when Harry's like, oh, yeah, I remember this part from my dream and this part of the dream. I'm like, we're going off of your dreams right now? That does not seem very reliable. And, I mean, half of them don't even know properly that Sirius Black is a good guy. Like, why is Harry, because he hasn't taken time to explain to them that, like, Luna's just like Stubby Boardman, question mark. Um, But Neville sure as hell doesn't know why they're going where they're going. And I don't know, it's just a lot of the explanation is kind of lacking a little bit right now. But they're friends of Harry, and it's a testament to their bravery, their Gryffindor yeah. traits that say that they're all here. Yeah, and trusting What about Luna, Harry? though? I mean, she's not a Gryffindor. No, but she's being very brave in this moment. Um, and it's her she's... it's her intelligence that's really gotten yeah. this far. I, I would definitely say she's brave, but I just think she's just more like she's happy to be along for the ride and just like enjoying the moment. I th- I just get that sense from her. Like her intellect definitely proves useful throughout and obviously going back to the Thestrals to get to the ministry in the first place. But mm-hmm. I just, I feel like she's, she's just herself. She's always herself. And at, at this point, Harry's under, really understood that he can rely on his instincts, right? Um, like mm-hmm. this always just works out well for Harry at the end of these books. Uh, is mm-hmm. he relies on his instincts to go where he needs to go. I think this is a classic deconstruction of that, though, because when they do get to the Hall of Prophecy and they find Sirius isn't there, Harry's finally forced to, like, question his own, what he thought was true. Right. And I'm just surprised, though, that these doors open. You would think, again, there would be more security in place and apologies if we learn that the Death Eaters kind of paved the way for them to be able to get through mm. but it, it's just really surprising to me that that they would be able to just go into these doors and not have any consequences and we touched a little bit on the brain room i'm not sure if we want to go into it anymore i know andrew you had mentioned we do a bit of that on episode 374 so folks can can check that out the one room i did want to talk about though of course is where the veil is housed and they actually come upon it relatively quickly and it's much different in the movie but the fact that we go to this room initially in this chapter and that we're going to come back to it very shortly i think is important especially because of how entranced harry is with the veil itself and it and it's said to be in almost like this amphitheater type of setting and it's very old feeling to it. It doesn't even seem like it's part of the ministry itself. It's almost like the ministry was built around this. And, yeah. and I know we, we've probably had many, many discussions over the years about the veil and about its setting, but I'm just curious to get people's thoughts here. Do we think that this is something that existed before the ministry was was constructed? Absolutely. I think yep. so. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't they didn't build this veil just for the purposes of the Department of Mysteries. And, Harry, and it's 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 very good. interesting and very scary reading the scene, knowing how dangerous this veil is. Because Harry's very drawn to it. It almost seems like he wants to walk through it. He's drawn yep. to the voices, the allure of the veil, of it kind of 
blowing in the wind. Um, And just knowing that it'd be so easy to die just by walking through there. It's incredibly dangerous. And a room like this should have more security. In fact, I mean, we're talking about like maybe the Death Eaters set it up so that it was easy to get in. Would they want Harry to easily get to the veil and and accidentally trip and fall through the veil? So maybe they didn't. (laughs) open up the security maybe it's always been like this yeah i i got the distinct impression while i was reading this that the veil is predatory it's like it's very appealing to not just harry but also Ginny, neville and luna are also described as being entranced by the veil the only people who don't seem to be are ron and hermione and i think that's because what harry Ginny, and Ginny, Neville, and Luna all have in common is proximity to death. Yeah. You know, Ginny was possessed by Voldemort. And I think that that is probably where her connection comes in. And we understand where Neville and Luna has come in just because they've, you know, witnessed death. Um, hmm. But it's it's kind of scary because there's this part where it describes Harry putting a foot up on the dais without even realizing it. Like, it's luring him in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He says there are people in there. And Hermione demands, what do you mean in there? There isn't anything in there. It's just an archway. There's no room for anybody to be there. Harry, stop it. Come away. Like Hermione is actually freaking out by how entranced Harry is by it. Well, and I see, I think, Micah, you have this here. Um, The first hint of Sirius's fate is that Harry thinks he hears or he asks for Sirius when he's approaching the veil. Yeah. It, I mean, it's not the first hint. I mean, we could go back yeah, probably to pr- Prisoner of Azkaban uh, <laughs> yeah. even. Uh, but I know, I think we had actually started a count back at the beginning of Order of the Phoenix, all of the the death omens for Sirius. And this is definitely one that should have been a clear indication to the reader that Sirius is in a lot of trouble because <laughs> if Harry is approaching this structure that we know has, as you said, Laura, like some predatory nature to it, clearly is a pathway to another realm, and he's asking for Sirius, then Sirius is uh, in quite a bit of trouble. Yeah. And I thought this was just. It reminded me of this interesting moment from Prisoner of Azkaban where at Christmas, Trelawney has her freak out about the number 13. Um, When Dumbledore asks her to sit down at a table that has 12 people at it, she's like, oh, no, I can't. You know, when 13 people dine together, the first to rise is the first to die. And later on in the book, Dumbledore is very specific about telling Harry and Hermione that in order to get to Sirius, they need to go to the 13th window on the West Tower. And I'm just like, oh, my God, she's been setting him up to die from the moment she introduced him. Yeah. Well, is it isn't it also serious that does stand up from a table of 13 at some point in the series? I, forget I think you're right. When it yeah, is. Earlier, earlier at, at either at Christmas or earlier in this book, uh, I think there it's are 13 book. people. Yeah, yeah. At Grimald Place. Mm, yep. I, think. Mm-hmm. I wonder, too, if part of Harry's entrancement with what is going on with the veil has anything to do with his horcrux very likely that's an interesting point yeah because did the others hear the voices was it just harry i think only luna said she heard them Mm -hmm. oh she did too okay 
But Luna hears everything. Right? Like, <laughs> Luna's always hearing voices. So And she continually gets shit from uh Hermione. Like when they're at the locked door, Hermione's like, I bet it's one of those crumply things behind this door. <laughs> <laughs> the crumple horn snorkack. I'm like, people can't stop making fun of Luna, man. Mm-hmm. It's just awful. I'm still surprised that there is nothing in place here because I, I wonder if you have unspeakables, let's just say, that are working within this room where the veil is. They work to keep sort of the predatory nature of it at bay. And it's just kind of having the opportunity to do whatever it would like here in this moment. And do you think it would have the same effect on full grown adult? wizards or do you think that the fact that they're kids maybe they haven't come into their own 100 percent yet that it's more easily able to prey on them i like that yeah Mm -hmm. i think there's there's probably a level of vulnerability that comes with it too like people Mm -hmm. like harry jenny neville and luna are obviously going to be more vulnerable to something like this because they've come so close to death yeah and i i mean it could also be a larger commentary about human beings and their tendency to self-destruct i mean that's a really dark way to take it um but oftentimes human beings make some really bad choices psychologically yeah (laughs) that don't turn out well for them and for some people this can be a result of like deliberately like self-sabotaging yeah definitely it's just like we humans we have a natural curiosity so we see something like this and we're going to be drawn to it so and just imagine you know walking into the department for your first time i mean there's so much to see here and being a curious kid you want to check everything out and maybe walk through that veil Mm -hmm. and i think harry is so desperate to find Sirius in this moment that he's just literally looking around every corner and at every opportunity and it seems like the veil is willing to provide a false sense of security in that way And so we're lucky that Hermione is there and she isn't entranced by this because she's the one who's able to finally get Harry away. Yeah. And they're able to go back to the rotating room. And Mm -hmm. it's in this moment where we get another hint of Sirius's fate. And it's when they encounter a locked door because I guess at least one of them needs to be locked. And (laughs) they try or Harry tries a uh, Sirius's knife. And we know that his knife is good to pretty much open any door. He's used it on Umbridge's office and it melts. And to me, that's another hint, another omen that Sirius is mm-hmm. not long for it for much longer. Don't we later find out that that's the love room? Yeah, Dumbledore tells Harry, he yeah. asks him directly, what's what's in that door, Professor? And see, this is why I think that probably under normal circumstances, all these other doors would be locked too. But I could see the Death Eaters opening them, except the love door, because they're like, oh, we don't want to open that one, because that <laughs> defeated our boss last time. Oh. <laughs> or they're just like, ew, gross, love. Yeah. <laughs> ew. Cuties. <laughs> Cuties. <laughs> Maybe Bellatrix opened it just a little bit, and then that's why we have a cursed child. (laughs) 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 But one room we get to before the Hall of Prophecy is what we'll call the time room. And uh, again, we do go into 
a lot of detail about it on episode 374, but this room really seems to entrance Ginny, right? And the whole chicken and the egg, kind of a weird series of events happens in here, but I'm not really sure what to make of it. I I don't know. Does it go back to the diary? Maybe Maybe. she was just impressed by it. (laughs) It it could, because I think there's a connection to be made there. Ginny lost so much time because of the diary in Chamber of Secrets. There's probably a large chunk of her second year at Hogwarts she doesn't remember. So I could see that sort of uh, setting her up for an interest in what she's seeing in this room. Mm -hmm. Well, so it's interesting to see that hourglass with, uh, as Micah said, the chicken and the egg thing. Um, The higher it goes, it ages, but then when it sinks back down, it it goes like back in its own time. It just reminds me that when we did episode 374, we didn't have Avengers uh, Endgame where that scene where um, Ant-Man gets sent back through time, but it's accidentally his own time that he's going through. So he comes back as a baby, Um, you know, because there's, there's time, there's manipulating time in the way that it gets changed around you and you stay the same age. But then there's also interrupting your own timeline and aging and de-aging. And actually the weirder part, the second part, the one that's aging and de-aging you rather than moving you through time is also a possibility that is being explored. We literally see it happening in this room as well. So there's more than just a bunch of time turners on shelves here. This is literally the room where how time works itself is being studied. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, definitely. And and it reminds me of Falks a bit too, in particular once, you know, it's sort of the rebirth aspect of it. Let's uh, talk about the Hall of Prophecies, a.k.a. Ikea. Right, Andrew? <laughs> this is like it reminded me of the self-serve area of ikea where there's yes. many many rows and like they're looking for a row in the 80s or 90s and like that's me when i'm looking for a new dresser you have to go all the way to the back of the self-serve area oh my god it's the worst and some of these prophecies they have a weird liquid glow others are described as dull and dark within as blown light bulbs And I was just curious, what do we all think this means? Does this reflect maybe the age of the prophecy, its usefulness? Could some of these have already been fulfilled or not fulfilled? Yeah, I think it's a mix of those. I think the gray ones uh, are for for prophecies that didn't come true. Like that empirically, like if they were about two people, the way that Harry's is about him and Voldemort, um, that they didn't come true and so the light within the light of possibility the light of that prophecy coming to pass is just faded now i don't know why the why there's still 97 rows and they're still storing prophecies that have presumably come to pass because there's not 97 rows of prophecies that are still in play there's just no way Mm -hmm. there aren't that many seers in this world well that's why we destroy it (laughs) we're actually doing we're doing the unspeakables a favor yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think age is an interesting factor. I think that's the most likely. It could also depend maybe on how the prophecy was made. Maybe they're made in different ways. I was thinking that it could be related to whether or not the people they're about are still alive. Ooh, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. If the people that the prophecy concerned have all passed away and the prophecy never came to pass, then. It's done, right? Yeah, that's a great idea. 
Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really great point as well. So Andrew, as you mentioned, there's rows and rows and rows and rows. And uh, Harry, once they finally get to where they need to be, can't find Sirius. What a shock. He's uh, not there. Uh, spaghetti Nowhere to be found. Now, I had another question here, just as an important, by the way. What is Harry's plan? Right, He knows that Sirius <laughs> is, let's just say, incapacitated. Was mm-hmm. he just planning to like roll up on Voldemort and <laughs> do what? Avada Kedavra. Like he's the Dark Lord. Yeah, I mean maybe, yeah. but it doesn't seem very well thought through because if Sirius is also there, Voldemort is there, and he's now taken five of his friends into the very place where, presumably, the most dangerous person in the world, who likes to kill people, is hanging out. Fair point. Chaos theory. Just. Show up and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. Like it works for Harry to escape Voldemort all the time, but his four closest friends are not going to be that lucky if it were Voldemort really there. All right. Well, I mean, there isn't a whole lot more to this chapter outside of Harry finally retrieving the prophecy. Ron is the one that alerts him to it in the book. I actually like the fact that it's Neville in the movies, just given the fact that the prophecy could have been about Neville. So. Yep. I th- I say uh, kudos to uh, who was that? Michael Goldenberg, Michael Goldberg. Oh, probably. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't Steve Clovis for Order of the Phoenix, right? No, this was the one not written by Clovis. I like the fact that uh, Neville is the one who does it in the movie. But anyway, Harry retrieves the prophecy. There's some cryptic language on the outside of it. Can't really make out much of it right now. And uh, he learns after he retrieves it that he's not by himself. What's up, Harry? You just got punked. (laughs) Real bad. Now you know why he didn't want to bring Ginny, Luna, and Neville along. (laughs) That is the end of the chapter. You did have one other question here, Andrew. Yeah. That I think is an important one, which is... So the Department of Mysteries is fascinating. And I think when we read about it in book five, we were hoping to learn more in six or seven, and we never did. And then we thought, well, maybe the encyclopedia, that never came along, maybe Pottermore. J.K. Rowling never dived into the Department of Mysteries further. And we'll learn a little more in the next chapter, but are we bummed that we still haven't learned more about the various departments? Yes. Definitely. Yep. I, like back in the day, pre-book seven, I was convinced that the Department of Mysteries was going to play some sort of integral role in the climax of the series, and then Mm. nothing came of it. And I was like, why would you introduce all this interesting stuff and then never do anything with it? It's it's funny that you say that, Laura, because I had a point in here, and and I forgot to mention it when we were talking about the amphitheater and, and the veil, because there were theories galore once the US cover of the of Deathly Hallows was released. Yes. That that was in fact where we were going back to. And and I, we probably have episodes upon episodes yep. talking about that. <laughs> we're like, we're gonna be in the Department of Mysteries. It's Harry versus Voldemort. The veil is there. What's gonna happen? What does it all mean? And we didn't get anything. It's the freaking Great Hall. Like <laughs> with the, <laughs> with the ceiling Grand blown Prix. off. Yeah. yeah, or wait, the ceiling's transparent, so no, they're just in the Great Hall. <laughs> I remember J.K. Rowling saying, and and if we could think about it this way, yes, I'm super disappointed it didn't come back in book seven, 
like we're all saying. But if the Harry Potter series, if all seven books had existed without the Department of Mysteries, then magic would kind of exist which is willy nilly, right? Like, so clearly a place like this had to exist, a place where the deepest mysteries are studied and the rules that we learn so much about in the other Harry Potter books are kind of given an explanation, or we at least see that there's physical rooms where those rules of magic are studied. And so JK Rowling would actually not be doing her job as a world builder. Uh, she'd be not doing her job as as someone who's writing these books if she didn't show that this place at least was there. But beyond that, I don't think there's any interest in explaining why, like, you can't summon food or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that that's all. We just understand that there's a government building somewhere. Maybe it existed before the rest of the building that people are studying these and answering these questions. Yeah. Uh-huh. I. I think it would have been cool to get a little bit more information, though, about some of these departments, because there's it's very clear that there are areas of the Department of Mysteries that we probably don't even read about in, right. in Order of the Phoenix and then don't get any more mentions of for the rest of the series. But I, I, I do like what you're saying, because I think it parallels a lot of the mysteries that we have in our own world, right? Mm-hmm. And the fact that there are unexplainable things that are constantly being studied that there just aren't answers to right now. And I think it's cool to see that the same thing exists in the wizarding world. Yeah. Yeah. Why aren't people wearing masks when they go outdoors? I want to see the room (laughs) devoted to that. Yeah. No, I agree with you. My only point of contention here is that so much emphasis was placed on this freaking veil. And so much of this series is tied up in the concept of death Right. And so it just seems like a lost opportunity or a missed opportunity to me that we're introduced to this veil. And ultimately, it's it's only reason for existing is to give Sirius a way to die. Oh, yeah. What the heck? Yeah. If one thing came back, it should have been the veil. And Harry should have been able to have a conversation with Sirius. But I guess he does a little bit in the forest again. Right. With the resurrection stone. Mm hmm. Is Sirius there when yeah. he... All four there you of, go. Yeah. Well, yeah. except Pettigrew. Lily replaces Peter. Oh, there you go. Right. She's the new fourth marauder. But yeah, yeah. I just, <laughs> you know, knowing that Voldemort is so obsessed with becoming a master of death, this mm-hmm. just seems so odd to me that we never see this again. All right. Let's move on to the Umbridge suck count now. Ooh. So uh, we got a big batch here. One for insulting Hagrid in the previous yeah. chapter. Uh, making the kids go ahead of her into the forest. She's putting them in danger. <laughs> Again. Uh, saying the ministry values her life more than Harry and Hermione's. <laughs> Even mean. if it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I still think it's true. Calling the centaurs half-breeds with near-human intelligence. Attacking Megorian. And uh, creating a school environment which led to Harry and crew going to the Department of Mysteries in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> I had I had to tie in the most recent chapter some way because she's yeah. obviously not in it, but mm-hmm. uh, her actions definitely influence what the trio and, and friends decide to do. I think Umbridge would be just as surprised to find nobody working at the ministry at this hour. Okay, the new total is 114, and now we will move to MVP of the week. 
I'm gonna give mine to Voldemort for successfully luring Harry. I love that guy. Oh. Nice job, Voldemort. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it to Hermione, my girl Hermione, though she makes some mistakes. Harry and company are still way better off with her there than they would be otherwise. Give mine to Luna for uh, providing the means for which the uh, crew make their way to the ministry, always thinking, and uh, for her calm demeanor despite everything that's going on at the Department of Mysteries. Eric, this is going to make you very happy. I'm giving mine to Ginny. That Mary Sue? You're giving it to Ginny? She is the only person across both chapters willing to call Harry out for being dumb. It's like they're going to get married or something. I know. (laughs) If you think he's so dumb, why don't you just marry him? (laughs) All right. And now we'll rename this chapter, Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 34, Punked Harry Potter. (laughs) Nice. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 34, the book cover chapter, parenthesis, USA. (laughs) That's clever, actually. I went with uh, Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 34, dumpster diving thestrals. (laughs) (laughs) I went with Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 34. Pay no attention to those voices behind the curtain. Uh, (laughs) Please. If you have any feedback about today's discussion, either of the two chapters, send it on in mugglecast at gmail.com or use the contact form on mugglecast.com you can also call us 19203muggle that's 19203684453 or send a voicemail to mugglecast at gmail.com we love hearing from you just keep your message around a minute or less so we can fit it on air if we decide to air it and now it is time for quizage Last week's question, what spell did Neville cast to escape the Inquisitorial Squad? And this was a nice little impediment jinx, according to Ron. Correct answers were submitted by Ann Smith, Hallow Wolf, Ferrix, Reese Without a Spoon, Soap Zero, The Imposter, Caleb McReynolds, Meg Scott, Stesh Me a Picture, Rachel, Matthew, Count Ravioli, Robbie, Bort Voldemort, Jason King, and Samwise Potter Skywalker. Nice. Congratulations to everyone who submitted that correct answer. We are doing uh, not the same, the very next chapter, because we just discussed it. So Mm. the next week's question is about chapter 35. What planet does not survive the battle in the Department of Mysteries? Oh, no. Oh. Oh. Uh Uh-oh, SpaghettiO. So send that in via Twitter with hashtag Quizich. And also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are username MuggleCast there. Thanks, everybody, who follows us and who listens to the show and who supports us on Patreon. If you would like to join our community of listeners who are helping this show thrive, head to patreon.com slash MuggleCast and you can pledge today. We have tiers at $2 a month, $5 a month, and $10 a month. And depending on what you pledge, you will get instant access to benefits like our live streams, our planning docs, bonus MuggleCast. There's a lot going on on our Patreon, and we really appreciate everybody's support. And by the way, existing patrons will start getting their shirts in the weeks ahead. Um, Actually, we're going to have a big batch of shirts coming this week for some of our oldest patrons. So we're really excited to get those shirts out to everybody and ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I've made fun of that in a lot of my Bonjoro videos, by the way. 
I did too, actually. No, good. <laughs> yeah, one of the benefits you receive when you pledge is a personalized video thank you message from one of the four hosts. They're a lot of fun to do, and I think people really enjoy them. So mm-hmm. pledge today, patreon.com slash mugglecast. We really appreciate your support. Thank you very much. Andrew, it, it's wild to think, but the next episode that we do is going to be in July. And I know Don't that's your favorite July. month. I, yeah. We're going to have to play that on the next episode oh. for folks who don't know what we're talking about. It was your one hit uh, wonder. Uh, no, I've had two hits. I had that two, song two. and my Wizard Rock single. Oh, Duh. that's right. My bad. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to today's episode. We'll see you in July. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.